good morning and welcome to the Love Well Podcast. I hope that you are doing good this morning. Um, my guest and friend, Will Medley, will be joining us here shortly uh, before he rolls in. Just want to uh, encourage you to uh, go ahead and I still can't figure out how to do the screen thing. Uh, right here, hit the uh, hit the subscribe. Um, so head over to DanielMRose.com, subscribe to Love Well, and uh, anything that I create, written, recorded, all that good stuff will hit your inbox. Um, you can always follow me on Twitter and uh, continue the conversation there, and I hope that you will. Um, and uh, the archive of today's uh, conversation uh, will we'll be at youtube.com slash Daniel Rose. Uh, that's my YouTube channel. So uh, if you are a video kind of person, I'd encourage you to subscribe there too. Um, and uh, you can catch catch a couple of videos that, that I do each week. Um, so uh, yeah, really, really excited. Um, to, to get this going. So uh, my buddy and good friend Will is here and uh, here ready to go. go. What's going on, man? Hold on. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a new platform thing. I see you and I hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Now, why is my speakers not working? Can, I see you. You see me, but can't hear me? Do you want the iPad? Yeah, can you please? Sure. I'm going to try to get my iPad. All right. Sounds good, dude. Try Sounds Maybe throw in some headphones. With can the, you hear uh, me? Yep, I can hear you. There we go. There we go. I got yeah, you. I you. All, right. all right. Good, good. I'm sorry about that. No, man. It's all good, dude. So how is everything? Things are good. Yeah. Things are good. How's life with you, brother? Can't complain. Can't complain. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Uh, so, hey, so as we are um, getting going here, uh, just want to give you guys a, uh, I don't know, a little bit of an idea of, of, of why why we're doing this. So, um, you know, I, I think I, unless people have been living in a cave, uh, <laughs> they, they, there's a lot going on in the world today and uh, some important conversations that need to be had. And um, so uh, what last week, I think it was, Will sent me a text and uh, I was like, yo man, what are you, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do about this? And uh, so, you know, as, as I've, as I've thought through that, a lot of what I'm going to do, a lot of what I'm going to do and a lot of what I am doing is not happening on social media. Um, but I do have a platform, uh, as limited as it may be. I don't know. There might be like four people that watch this, Will. But uh, it's going to be four people that need to hear it, hopefully. And uh, so over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to use I'm going to use this uh, this podcast uh, to try to uh, give voice and platform to some of my good friends, and uh, want to hear want to hear their stories and. Uh, try to try to get a, a better sense of 
um, you know, expose, well, to expose a lot of folks kind of, I guess, in my, in my tribe, so to speak, uh, to the realities of, uh, of what it is to, to be, to be black in America. And so, um, so yeah, so, so we're going to hear stories and, uh, you know, also want to give, give you, you know, a chance to kind of talk about what, what needs to change? What do you see as some things that, uh, that need to happen? So, so Will, why don't you, uh, why don't you get us going here with, uh, maybe just, a you know, tell us a little bit about, about who you are and, um, you know, let, let's, let's chop it up as the kids say. Well, first, first of all, my name is Will Medley. I'm a, Associate Minister at Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church. I have been in law enforcement for whew, over 20 years now. Um, I got, I'm going to interrupt you. That's okay. My first image of you, the, the first memory I have of you is we were at Moody uh, or Michigan Theological Seminary at the time. And uh, I think I was sitting in the student lounge and you came in, man, for class like all geared out <laughs> you had just come <laughs> off shift and i was like what is going on are we being raided or what <laughs> right that was it. and to be honest that i remember that day because uh everybody just stopped and was like it was almost and had this image of oh you're a cop <laughs> it, 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 a lot of folks right didn't really expect me to come in looking like that but after that, it was almost like uh, nobody really questioned or said anything. Yeah. Uh, so, so like I said, I've been in law enforcement for twenty over twenty plus years. I am married to my beautiful wife uh, Tia, who I met at Moody or Michigan Theological Seminary. Uh, we have three sons: uh, Carlos, Caleb, and Eli. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, my passion is helping people, and hopefully by the end of this year, I will be a chaplain in the reserves for uh, the Michigan National Guard. So nice, yeah. yeah. So, um, all right. So, where did you where did you grow up? I grew up literally one, two, three. I where I currently stay in Detroit. I grew up five blocks from where I stayed, okay. literally five blocks from where I stayed. Uh, so born and raised Detroit, Michigan. Love, love it, love it. Left the city for about mm, twelve years and said, "Nope, it's time to go back." So yeah. came back home. It was safe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now, so so that statement in of itself is loaded, right? I mean. Loaded and unloaded, yeah. Yeah. So, so what? When you say, "Man, I had to come back home where it's safe," why? Wh what is that? When you say that, what is? What's all behind that statement? Because there's a lot there. Yeah. So when Michigan, when when I first started as a Detroit police officer, uh, we had to live within the city. One year, maybe two years into my. Uh, Yes. Two years into my career, they came out and said that police officers no longer in the state of Michigan 
employees no longer had to live in the city, which they worked. And at that point, like most police officers, I'm looking like, hey, I, my insurance would go from uh, $4,000 a year to 1000 a year. I'm moving to the suburbs. <laughs> so, you know, I moved out. I moved to uh, Southfield. From Southfield, I went to Farmington. From Farmington, uh, back to Southfield. And from there, I moved to uh, Ferndale, which is another. All these suburbs are northern suburbs of Detroit because I wanted to stay close to my family, to my parents. So, you know, I moved out. Then after I got married and was like, look, we're renting. I want to own a home. Let me find the best deal. Got the deal back in Detroit. So, but I moved out of Detroit, like I said, because it was a financial uh, plus for me, or so I thought. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why, um, so why, why, why is it safe moving back to, be to back Detroit? In Detroit? Yeah. What, what was, what's, what's kind of behind that, that statement? This is where I grew up. This is what I know. And so where I moved is lit, like I said, literally five blocks from where I grew up. So I knew the people in this community, um, even though it's changed over the years, it's still, it was still home. So it was still comforting to be able to go to my parents' house. Uh, my kids would grow up in the same neighborhood, just about where I grew up. So they would get the same experience safety wise, you know, the one thing I would say is, and I just was reminded of this by a friend, that the thing that what makes me such a, a threat to people is also the thing that makes me an asset to people. And by that, what I mean is he was saying, hey, Medley, as a police officer, you see a white kid with a, uh, reaching in his pocket. Are you going to shoot him? Or are you going to think to yourself, man, I could kick his butt and take him out? <laughs> because in my mindset, I'm bigger, I'm faster, I'm more skilled. I don't care how skinny the kid is, how fast he might be. In the back of my mind, I'm always bigger, I'm always uh, stronger, and I'm always faster, and I can always outdo him. Well, the same thing that I'm thinking, more than likely he's thinking. This guy's bigger than me. He's faster than me. He's going to be stronger than me. He's going to kick my butt. And so the very thing that should be in that, uh, not a, that's an asset as a police officer is also a threat to other people. Hmm. So, yep. you know, being in Detroit, who, I, who am I around? Who do I look like? I look like the people that I'm around. When I, for instance, in Farmington Hills, I got pulled over as a police officer three times, uh, once on a motorcycle and twice in my car. One time in my car was a legitimate reason. I really couldn't argue, but it was a legitimate reason. The uh, other time I was pulled over in my car, the cop asked me, what are you doing out here? I'm like, what do you mean? Look at my license. You can tell what I'm doing out here. I live out here. (laughs) Can you live? Oh, really? It was like he was shocked that I was living out there. And the time I was on my bike, well, I wasn't on my bike. I was on my cousin's bike and he pulled a gun on me. A police officer pulled a gun on me 
because my cousin had a criminal background and it said might be a threat to law enforcement. Now, here's a guy whose cousin is a police officer, but because he was in prison, the first thing they put, he might be a threat to the police. Hmm. So I had a gun put on me and I had a gun on me. Put my hands up. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a police officer. You know, what are you doing on this guy's on this bike? It's my cousin's bike. Well, do you know what your cousin do, does? I said, oh, yeah, you know what? He's a, he he uh, he was in prison. He did some time in prison. And truth be told, they put that on everybody's uh, everybody who's been in prison. They put that tag might be uh, might be hostile towards police. Now, here's a police officer telling another police officer this very same thing. Now, why as a black police officer, I know this. But he has a white police officer, a black Detroit police officer versus a white suburban Farmington Hills police officer not know that they do that to anybody who comes out of prison. So, yeah, it's safer for me to be here because I look like yep. people. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. So, how, I mean, man, how does, um, you know, see, when you, is you're kind of watching everything going on. Um, you know, you hear, you hear people, um, you know, kind of talking about how, you know, a lot of, a lot of what's, a lot of what goes on is self-fulfilling prophecy or it's just, it's overblown. Um, you know, these, you know, there's really not systemic racism, um, in, in America that, you know, like, all, you know, you, you hear people kind of push back on all this stuff. Right. right? Um, and you know, while they change the laws, you know, the laws have been changed. So, so everything's fine. That, that stuff's illegal. It doesn't happen anymore. Um, or these are, um, isolated incidents. The, the, this isn't the normal experience for, uh, for black folks in America. It, when you, when you hear that kind of, that kind of thing kind of rolling, what, What's your response to that? Like, what? Um, yeah, how do you, how do you re, how do you respond? Part of me laughs. Part of me cries. Okay. And the reason I say that is, I laugh because the very people who say it's not, it's, it's, oh God, I can always, I get tongue twisted. There's no <laughs> racist, systematic or uh, racism. <laughs> Forgive me. You're good. Uh, it's early. They're the very ones. Who benefit from it? Of course, it's not a systemic racism for you because you're not facing it. You know, again, as a police officer, I'm black. Once I take my uniform off, nobody knows that I'm a police officer. And, you know, to white police officers, good and bad, they don't see me as a police officer. They just see me as another person that they deal with out on the street, you know? So that in itself shows racism or prejudice. Um, the system is set up, it's rigged for, for people to, to be incarcerated, especially in uh, urban areas. I mean, just think about it. Um, I had this discussion with some students. I used, I also was a teacher for a, a short, brief time. 
I said, you know, I grew up in 19, uh, graduated from high school in 1996. My high school at the time was the first high school in the country, I believe they said. Well, let's just say in Michigan that had metal detectors. Hmm. So you walk into this school and the funny thing about my high school, they called it the blue jail or the blue prison. It's Mumford High School. You walk into Mumford, you walk through metal detectors. Uh, they go through all your bags and things like that. You get you get searched. Then when you walk in, you know, wherever your locker was, you had to be on that floor at a certain time. They told us what classes we went to at what time. We went on a bell schedule and things like that. We couldn't leave the school to go for lunch and things like that. And I used to hear stories of my cousin who went to a suburban high school who was like, yeah, man, I leave the school, go get lunch. And then, you know, I went to the University of Michigan and I went to the U of M Dearborn and uh, I started, you know, looking at how classes were set up. Nobody told me what time to go. I never walked through a metal detector. Mentally, for some kids, if you're treated as a criminal, yeah, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because that's all you know. If I'm constantly picked on by police officers before I even get to school, then I'm treated like a prisoner when I get to school. And if I do anything, the first thing you do is have me uh, kicked out of school or and I get what they call a, a school record. What's going to happen when I gra uh, graduate or not finish school? I'm going to go to what you treated me as. You know, I taught at East Point High. Now, some people will say, well, that's kind of a nervous school because it's black. But the kids, yeah, they had to come in one door, but they were they didn't have to go through metal detectors. None of their property was searched. And certain students, because it was a mixed culture, were treated different than others. And me as the, um, it was two, three black teachers. And I'm one of the one male teach black male teachers. Students flocked to me. Certain students flocked to me because they knew that I would treat them different and treat them, you know, most of them treated me like I was either their dad or uncle. Mm. I was the one they came to when they had problems. And I was the one who they come to when they had to talk to administration or somebody. So it's all a setup in a, in a sense, if you know what I mean. But now going to the police. Whew, there, it, it, we can't police ourselves, which is a problem. However, we also have to change some of the things that we do because I've seen police officers who treated uh, certain individuals better because of the color of their skin than they do others. So there's always some kind of racism going on. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said, because I, I went off on a ramble. Sorry about that, folks. <laughs> You're good, man. No, because here's the thing, right? I mean, you know, we've one of the one of the narratives, I guess you could say that that has been floating around, um, especially kind of within um, progressive or liberal white culture, is you know this whole I I, I can't I'm never going to know I'm never going to understand but I see you is kind of the the thing that 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 a lot of progressives um, say and which is, which is fine to a point. 
Um, but at some point we need, we need to learn, we need to hear, we need to, we need to try to know. <laughs> and you I don't know, think it, you, not so much know, but stop saying, I want to know and get out there and do. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, I, I, I believe it was you who told me white folks, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, man, if, uh, the old joke for us, don't lose your black card. Mm-hmm. Don't lose your white card, bro. <laughs> Saying stuff like that. But when you, when, when you when you do hear something like that, you're you're absolutely right. There needs to be something done. You know, I once asked somebody who said, man, I saw that George Floyd uh, video and it just made me sick. And it, it really touched me. And I, and I literally asked, why now? Mm-hmm. What changed right now that made you go, oh, this was the one that hurt? You had uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. That video to me was more gruesome than George Floyd. And not taking away what happened to George Floyd was a shame. Right. I say it was more gruesome because I literally saw a guy being hunted by three males, shot and killed. You don't know what it's like to watch somebody. I mean, people know what it's like to watch somebody get shot and kick and die because you saw Ahmaud Aubrey. I've actually seen the blood. I've I've seen the, the I watched a guy take his last breath. Even at Moody, I, I remember one of our classmates had a heart attack and was dying. And when I got into the room, being, you know, still fresh in the mind of a police officer looked down and was like man he ain't gonna make it and people was like how how does that make you feel i was like, it is what it is i mean he ain't gonna make it mm-hmm. and so that just took me back to like watching that video going man y'all actually hunted a man down and just killed him that y'all treated him y'all treat animals better than you treated that young man now George Floyd, when I saw that and I was, when I heard mama, I can't breathe, you know, the police officer in me, the first thing I thought about is I used to hear people say, oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. But you sitting up and talking. And, but when I heard mama, I can't breathe. I was like, man, I remember shouting those same words when I, uh, cause I have asthma. And I couldn't say anything, but I I remember saying in my mind, mama, I can't breathe. And yeah, that that was tough. Mm. So I I just wanted to know why now? What was it that was so different that made you say this is the worst thing I ever seen? And now, yeah, racism by police officers truly exists. And how do they respond when you ask that? Well, I'm not the the thing they said and it. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. All those other things affected me. But my question is, why now are you out here trying to figure out why are you asking me these questions now? Why? What? You know. Why now? You know, I've had several talks with you. So just so your people will understand those who follow you, Dan did not ask. Oh, my God. He never said, oh, this is the one that touched me because anytime something happens to I either go. I better call Dan or 
I better expect a call from Dan. So uh-huh. I'm not going to say you, but others, oh, that, that was tragic. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. Yeah. Like, you know, you have Freddie Gray who have video who was saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And let me be, be open and honest. As a police officer, I saw the video and I was like, hmm, you know, I this one I really, I was on the fence with until somebody pointed out, if you were, if that was you doing that move to somebody, when would you have let go? And I said, as soon as I got control of the guy, he said, go back and look at the video. He said that guy never let go until the he, it was pretty much over with almost to the end. And when I look back, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this that was too much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some people say you used to tell me, oh, you always defend the police. And I said, no, I, I'll defend the police when they're right. Right. But when they're wrong, I'm going to call them out on it. Yeah. 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 Because you, you are in this very unique uh, it, 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 unique in the sense that you know you 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 are straddling kind of both those lines, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. you know as, as a as a black man in the police department, and not just any police department, but in the new Detroit Police Department, um, you, you do you walk you walk a very fine line here, um, and and so you have you have a unique perspective that um, I think a lot of people don't have or, or need to need to hear. Um, so when you and I were talking the other day, um, you told me a story, uh, about one time when, after you had left shift and your son was in the, was in the truck with you and, uh, and you guys got pulled over. Um, Mm -hmm. what, tell us, tell that, tell that story because I think it, I think it brings to light, um, some, some of these kinds of issues that, that I, I, don't, I don't think people get when they hear match the, that match the description. Right. And so you okay. raised some of these issues telling that story. And, and I thought, I just thought it was really helpful. So it, uh, I, I was taking my son. I think uh, we were, it was one of those days that you had, I, I was, I got off work and my wife was telling me something. So I said, you know what? Let me take him and talk to him because, you know, he's a teen. Well, he was a teen at the time, but he was a teen at the time. And I'm being dad. And I said, you know, let's go. Come on. You're going to help me go get something. Uh, here we go. He already knew what was up. Yep. <laughs> so we're driving along literally uh, four blocks from our house. I'm driving up the street, get pulled over in our, in our own neighborhood. Get pulled over. The officer comes up to the car, license, registration, proof of insurance. I show him my ID. He was like, oh, man, my bad. I was like, no problem. What you pull me over for? You know, I just I, I have been trying to have these discussions with my, my son. This was right after Trayvon Martin, as a matter of fact. And I'm, the more I think about it again, I, this is the same problem I had telling you the story. I had to have a discussion with my son about what he wore. And just fortunate enough for us, we both were wearing black hoodies or dark colored hoodies, dark colored pants. And uh, we got pulled over and the guy said, well, you know, I'm sorry, bro. Uh, Your your vehicle and you guys fit the description. 
And my son, I said, oh, my son, and I watched it. I said, hold on, can you do me a favor? I cut my uh, radio on because we used to take, we take our radios home. I cut my radio on and uh, our, the prep radio, cut it on. And I said, could you ask a uh, dispatch to get a description? And uh, the officer said, he already, he already knew. Yeah, oh, God, here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, radio, this is a uh, 12 motor, I believe it's 12 motor one, 12 motor two, something like that. It was a, a traffic car. Can I get the description of, 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 of the B&E suspects? And the description was two black males. Uh, could be heavy, could be thin set, which was our weight, body structure. Medium, uh, light to me, uh, dark complexion. My son is lighter than me. I'm medium complexion, which you can consider medium complexion. Some people even say dark. Uh, thin to heavy build for both. Uh, 18, oh no, 15 to 34. Uh, low haircut and one had afro. My son looked and was like, man, that's us. I was like, shut up. <laughs> and the guy goes, he was like, yeah. Oh, and we, we I had a black uh, Yukon Denali. And it was a black van. Then the radio came back and said, uh, scratch the van. Could be a black, dark colored vehicle, SUV or van. Here, Here is me and my son. And fitting the description. That description to you. If you were a police officer, what would you have done if you seen my vehicle? I would have pulled you over. Right. But you see the vagueness. Yep. Here's the thing. When I get descriptions for white guys, I'm going to get a good description. <laughs> Why? And I live in a city of Detroit. The city of Detroit is 85% black. How many people fit? How many males do you think fit that description of the eighty-five percent? Everybody. Let's just say it's a fifty-fifty split. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, outside of my younger sons, who fits the description? I would say about oh seventy-five percent of the black males. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's eye-opening, but people don't realize a lot of times when they say, "Oh, police are harassing me." And this is what I tell them. That's the generalized uh, description. Yeah. You know, another here's another funny story that I always laugh at when I think about it in the middle of roll call. So I'm in uniform, full Mm -hmm. uniform. The description came out black male. And at the time I had we could wear beards like we like this. Uh, Black male, six even. Uh, 275 to 315 pounds wearing all uh, navy blue outfit dark shoes wearing glasses armed with a weapon so the uh, supervisor reads it and I look down and I'm, I'm looking at everybody like I, I know this cannot be this is he's, he's actually telling a joke right this is a joke the supervisor stops, looks up, looks over, and looks at me and goes, Hey, Metley, where were you at uh, 2.30? <laughs> I said, here. <laughs> he was like, that was the most uh, descriptive uh, description we've ever had. 
and unfortunately for you, it fits you. <laughs> I say, Sarge, I've been here. <laughs> oh, so. so, you know, one of the one of the things that I've become really aware of um, is the way that, like my my son's friends, respond when they are in proximity to police officers, right? Um, just mm-hmm. kind of the, the discomfort, the fear. Um, and, and when I've talked with some friends about that, their response almost always is, well, they shouldn't be. Police officers are, 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 are here to, you know, protect and they're, they're, you know, so when you hear that, what's, what's your response? I mean, you know, How many times have you had discussion with your son about how to act when the police or how to act towards a police officer? Once. And what did you tell him? I told him uh, this was right after he got his license. And so Mm -hmm. we just kind of talked through the etiquette of what do you do when you get pulled over? Because I was like, you're going to get pulled over. You're my son. (laughs) So, you know, so we talked about how, you know, you, if it's at night, you turn the, turn the light on the, the dome light in your car on and you, um, roll your window down and put your hands on the steering wheel. Okay. And if it's during the day, you roll your window down and put your hands on the steering wheel. Okay. So that Did was you tell him not to move. Nope. Did you tell him to say yes, sir? No, sir. Uh, Yes, I did tell him that. Did you tell him to make the officer feel comfortable? No. No. I'm a police officer. My kids already know. They, 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 they're like your son. They probably would be the yes, sir, no, sir. But they're comfortable around police officers. But the majority of kids, especially black kids, parents have this conversation. First, don't wear hoodies. Don't look like a criminal. When you get pulled over, say yes, sir. No, sir. Don't move unless he tells you to move. And then when he tells you to move, ask him how to move. Because if you move a certain way that they deem a threat, they're going to they can shoot you. As a police officer, I told my son, if you ever get stopped by a police officer, give him your name, your date of birth or your ID. And that's it. Don't talk back. Don't ask questions. If he tells you he's locking you up, go ahead, get locked up, call me, let me come and handle it. I, when my son, before he finally moved out, I, and I never really told my wife this, but she always wondered why I always kept my clothes on, kept my clothes on until he got home. And that was because I was waiting on a phone call. I had to make sure he got home and and his curfew really, it was a liberal curfew. But I would always stay ready just in case I had to go and pick him up. Not saying that he was going to get in trouble, but I remember D.L. Hughley saying how he did the same thing. And I never really, uh, D.L. Hughley, the comedian, and, he, and I said, man, I, I never really personally thought I was keeping my clothes on because of that. But part of me, probably in the back of my mind, subconsciously being a cop, I would keep my uh, clothes on so I could, if I had to leave the house in a split second, I'd be ready. And I never want to 
spend time wasting time getting dressed to get out and trying to see what might happen to my son right good or bad you know and when i would get those calls late at night every time my phone would ring i go oh god what's gonna happen you know yep. so yep. those are the things that parents have to worry about and and let's just be honest a lot of times parents have experienced things that just and they share with their kids you know when you tell a kid you get pulled over in a city where there's not many blacks or and your son asks you what we get pulled over for and you have to say because we fit a description or because of the color of our skin because of what we were driving it's hard to take that away from them. and when you have parents who say you got to be careful around the police you, you or you can't trust the police because they're going to do something they might set you up and you've been trained that and you know white folks have heard this years and years and they go oh that's not true and then now all of a sudden we're seeing videos on youtube we're seeing videos on cnn and and msnbc outside of fox because you'll never see it you know you go oh wait a minute they're still you know we were still crying but this is really happening to us you know these are things that we have to put up with i mean I've had situations where I've, I'm dealing with a police officer and he's and I've, I've identified myself as a police officer and he's still treating me like a suspect to the point I was like, dude, wait a minute, time out. How much time you got on the job? Oh, I'm a, I've been a police officer for seven years. Man, I've been a cop for 14 years. Shut up talking to me. Your partner, how much time you got? Oh, man, I've been on for 14 years. I'm only going to talk to you because I don't respect this guy because he don't know how to talk to me. And his partner tell him, hey, bro, white officer telling another white officer, this guy is a cop and you, he's trying to, you're not even listening to him. Listen, shut up. I'm getting the benefit of the doubt because of what I do. Right. So imagine how that guy treats other black people. Right. Right. So what, what is something, what's like the one or two things that, you really wish white folks knew and understood about um, about what it's like to you know to be to be a black male in in the United States. If if they could if white if the white if white folks could just if they could really grasp a couple of things from your perspective, uh, what what do you want them to be or what what do you what would you really, really wish they could just get their hands and minds around? First, let's 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 accept accept the fact that black folks in this country were brought here as property. They were they weren't here. They didn't. We didn't come on no ships. We didn't come on no boats to Ellis Island. We came as cargo on a ship you took from uh, you stole from Africa I can't say where because we don't we really don't know mm -hmm. but you stole us from our, our land you brought us to a foreign land you you stole our heritage you stole our culture you stole everything about us then you told us to work your land then when we said 
when you freed us, you said, here's here's your opportunity and you know where I'm going. Just let's accept the fact that this country would, doesn't see us as pro, as people, but as property. Now, we once you accept that fact, now say, stand up for people. Treat me humane. Treat me like you would want to be treated. Just because I am black doesn't mean that I'm violent. I mean, like anybody, you have to push me to a point to get me to turn that way. And the only way you can do that is hurt somebody that I love and care about. So treat me human, humane. Secondly, stop saying that you listening or you hear me and do something about, it. you know, if you see me saying I'm hungry and then you go, well, I hear you. Well, what you going to do to help me? Help us. Stand up when you see somebody doing, saying something. When you hear somebody say, oh, look at those people. What do you mean those people? You know, or stand next to me and be willing to die for me if you love me. Like you say you do. You know, that's going to the Bible. Jesus died for those who he loved. And we as Christians always say, oh, I'm a Christian, but you're not willing to die for me out of love. Just be willing to do and be the example that we have through Jesus Christ in the Bible. That's what I want. Yeah. And to my conservative Christian friends, as one guy once, uh, one uh, uh, commentator asked, what Bible are you reading that you don't see sacrifice for the things you love. You know, what, what God are you serving? Show me your love through not only financial, through participation, because what the Bible says, faith without works is dead. I can't tell that you love me if every time you say you love me, but then you're not there for me. You're not standing with me. You're not crying with me. You know, that's what I want. Because truth, at the end of the day, love can only get me so far, but actions show, actions speak louder than words. Yep. So. Yep. I got a, I got a friend who says, his, his, his line is acta non verba. Actions, right. not words. Exactly. So, yeah. Well, well, man, I can't. I can't thank you enough for, for being on here. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I, Will and I talked about this before, uh, before we set this up. Um, but I'm, I'm gonna, you know, kind of offer the, offer the invitation. Um, if, if you, if you're listening to this and, uh, and you're, you're a white guy and you're like, or a white woman and you're like, yo, this is, this is all bull crap. Will's full of it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not buying any of this. Um, Will, Will has, uh, graciously, uh, offered to, to come back and, and get online and have the conversation with you. Um, and we'll, we'll put it out on the podcast. And so, uh, just kind of want to say this. Yeah. If you, if you, if you say that what I'm saying is bull, 
there's two things you can do put up or shut up but when you put up just remember one thing don't come with this make sure that your facts are facts make sure that you if you're going to use numbers make sure you define how those numbers are being tracked yep. because I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm sure it's not. I'm not the dumbest either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, dude. And I, if it gets to the point where I think, oh, wait a minute, you want to throw some numbers out and you saying that my expertise, is, I should be careful. I got somebody for you, too, <laughs> who would come on. So so there you go. I, so so, guys, the, we, we I really the hope really is that, that we'll be able to have the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, they're, they're not comfortable this, I'm guessing a lot of, a lot of my friends that are, a lot of you guys that are watching this, um, aren't comfortable by, by what Will has said today. Or, or if you're listening to this on the podcast, this, this might make you uncomfortable and that's good. Um, sit, right. sit in the discomfort. I, I, well, I don't know if you, um, can see the, uh, some of these comments, but I want to put this one up here, uh, mm -hmm. from my friend, Brenda. She said, thank you for this, uh, for opening the dialogue, asking the questions, sitting in this comfort. Will, thank you for sharing. Um, and uh, Let me say I, this. Yeah. Change has to happen. You have to lose your uh, comfort. You, yep. when, you're, when you get un become uncomfortable, there's two things that we normally do. We fight it or we run from it. And by fighting it, I mean, that means, okay, thank you for changing or making me feel discomfortable, uncomfortable, excuse me. And now what is either I'm going to go and say, stick to my guns, or I'm going to go and change something that I see that needs to be changed. You know, I've, I had to change my thinking as a police officer and as a black man. I was very uncomfortable because I thought I was doing, this is who I am. This is what I am, but it wasn't. Uh, I accepted it and I said, this is how I'm going to change. I could have ran from it, but I decided to stay there and say, now, how can I change who I am? That's what I mean by fight it. How can I be the, 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 the conduit? conductor of change in my own life what can i do to to, to feel uncomfortable because were you in class when i was in, in at moody and i'm new to ministry i'm uh i'm excited about being a minister but i'm in class and you guys were saying some words and i'm like what does this stuff mean right i'm out of my element and i broke down and a professor said to me and i remember dr tucker who it's him and Dr. Smith, who I always think, but told me, he said, it's good that you're uncomfortable. It's good because you have to get out of your regular mindset. Yep. And it was at that point that I realized, OK, for me to change, I have to get used to being uncomfortable and put in uncomfortable situations. And you would think a person who's been a police officer or was a police officer, I could adapt and change. No. <laughs> Right. I was headstrong right. on believing what I believe. So we, it's hard. like you said, it's hard. it's hard, but we have to do it. 
Absolutely. And I'm sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, and I'm not seeing, uh, I was kind of hoping maybe we, we get a few questions, um, dropped into the, uh, in the comment section here. Um, but I am, I'm not seeing anything. Um, uh, you know, kind of on here. So, um, so guys, if, if you have any, we're, we're going to wrap this up, but if you have any questions for Will, um, boy, please, please drop them in the comments here real quick. And, uh, cause we'd love to, we'd love to, I'd love to have a dialogue with your, 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 with people. So yeah. Yeah. As y'all can tell, I, I like to talk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the problem with, when Will and I get together, the, honestly, the problem is that, you know, he and I half the time are talking over each other because neither one of us know how to shut up. And uh, exactly, <laughs> it's, it's problematic. And people probably looking at us like, are they fighting? What's going on? <laughs> we both say the same thing. I know, right? <laughs> oh God, too funny, too funny. Oh, uh, all right. Well, Will, man, thank you so much for for being on with me, um, guys. I want to remind you again. Uh, you know, head over. If you thought this was insightful, helpful at all, uh, jump over here to uh, the Lovewell, uh, the Lovewell page, DanielMrose.com. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, what I write, you know, what I what I release uh, audio-wise will go right into your inbox. Um, if you want to find the archive of this uh, conversation, you can do so at YouTube.com/DanielRose, and uh, and follow me on Twitter, and let's continue the conversation at. Daniel M. Rose there. Um, so thanks again for being with us on the Love Well Podcast. Will, brother, thank you so much, and uh, we'll have you on again soon. No problem. Um, okay. So until until next time, my friends, love well. <laughs>